During the chaos of coup reporting, some listeners told us on Twitter that they'd appreciate an on-the-media breaking news consumer's handbook, Coup Edition. Happy to oblige. But the truth is, we just don't see coups that much anymore. Researchers Clayton Tyne and Jonathan Powell looked into this and found that while in the 60s there were roughly 12 coup attempts around the globe per year, now there are three, if that. Interestingly, they also found that plotters today are generally more successful than in the past. For instance, much of the Arab Spring, despite the optics, involved military coups in tandem with popular uprisings. Many of these coups were messy, but they succeeded in bringing down the government anyway. That didn't happen in Turkey. Nani Hal Singh is the author of Seizing Power, the Strategic Logic of Military Coups. He says what happened in Turkey was a textbook fail. The most important thing is that a coup has to appear to be inevitable. The way you do that is by seizing control over the major TV stations and radio stations. You shut down the ones you're not using so that you can control the narrative. We begin in Thailand, a country where the constitution has been suspended. TV and radio stations are only permitted to broadcast military announcements. The military has cut off at least three pro-Morsi satellite television stations. Al Jazeera says security forces raided its Egyptian television channel and detained some of its staff. Government soldiers claim to have staged a coup in the West African country of Mali. The rebel troops now control the state-run broadcaster. The soldiers issued a statement. They said they had taken control of the presidential palace. You make a broadcast which says we've already succeeded. Okay, we talk a lot about bad reporting and breaking news situations. We talk about the fog of natural disaster and, of course, the fog of war. Tell me about the fog of coup. If you mount a coup, the very first thing you have to do is make it clear that the government isn't in charge, or at least create a good deal of uncertainty about who is. Then the next thing you do is you fill that vacuum of power by making it clear that you are the person who's in charge. When journalists rush to judgment, oftentimes they're being manipulated by one party or the other. The military tries to overthrow Burundi's president while he's out of the country. Thousands take to the streets to celebrate. The leader of Burundi's failed coup is reportedly arrested. The president is said to be back in the country. Very often reporters will talk about the military. But actually what's happening during a coup is you're having a struggle for power within the military. It's one faction against the other. And so talking about the military is actually part of the spin. When they claim that they're in control, it's usually premature. The purpose of it is to create self-fulfilling expectations because all of the key leaders of military units will believe that the junta is in charge. They will then throw their support their way and they will try to suppress opposition to it. In so doing, they will then become in charge. In the old days, governments had monopoly over broadcasting. And in that case, it was easy. You'd go to the capital and you'd take over the main broadcasting facility. These days, it's more complicated. You have satellite TV, you've got cable. What Erdogan did was he got on CNN Turk, which mm. they had failed to shut down. They shut it down afterward. So you've got your broadcast station. Mm -hmm. Step Two is your statement. What do you say? And here, you could tell right away that the Turkish coup was on really shaky ground. 
What I thought they did wrong was that they had the newscaster read the statement. And that lacked credibility. And it was an anonymous statement. Yeah, you didn't actually know who was at the heart of the coup. As a matter of fact, to this point, we're still not entirely sure. But if they'd stepped up themselves, that might have generated more confidence. Mm-hmm. If you're a general and you put your face out there and you say, I'm taking charge, people will believe that he's only going to do that if he actually believes he can succeed. So, to assess a coup's chances, look for faces and names. It shows mm-hmm. confidence in the effort. And if you're trying to defeat the coup, it has to go the other way. A great example of this is in Spain in 1981. The king of Spain, Juan Carlos, got on TV and he broadcast a statement where he was opposing the coup. And he did so in his military uniform with all his medals. It was with that broadcast that he defeated the coup. Now, at first it seemed like Erdogan had lost the narrative game. There were Twitter rumors that he was in a plane circling over Germany, asking for asylum on the run, while the plotters shut down the airport. What are the decisive locations if we as news consumers want to try and forecast the success of a coup attempt? The main symbolic targets. The parliament building doesn't have any tactical relevance. What it does have is symbolic relevance. The same way you take down one side's flag and you put up another. Bridges and airports. The airport is what connects a country to the outside. You're showing, no, you're the person who's in charge. There are a lot of people who suggest that social media can disrupt the usual patterns. What do you think about social media as something that can change the course of a coup? I think the jury's still out. The more social media approaches what broadcast media can do, reach a very large number of people in a short period of time and create common knowledge. The public square. Exactly. That's what's critical. Twitter is very good for spreading information, but it spreads it privately. Now let's talk about The visuals. Mm -hmm. Cast your mind back a week ago Friday. All these images of chaos and confrontations between police and protesters. When you see violence on the streets during a coup attempt, what should you make of that? The stronger the coup makers, the more bloodless, quick, orderly, and almost silent a coup is. The more violence you have, the weaker the hand they have to play, the more they have to use force to compensate. And you know this particularly in the case of Turkey, right? It's previous coups. The previous coups were all either bloodless or the 1961 had three deaths, I believe. Hmm. And this was definitely bloody. In Ankara, for example, the Air Force was attacking targets. As unpopular as Erdogan is in many circles, Mm -hmm. even those who condemn his repressive policies— opposed the coup because they saw it as worse. It was a case of what they saw as the lesser of two evils. You have an authoritarian figure, and you have the prospect of his undemocratic ouster. Do you see that a lot? Deciding which side to back during a coup is always very tricky. And yes, sometimes you have people who believe in democracy And if they believe the current government has authoritarian tendencies, it becomes a very difficult choice for them. Sometimes it goes the other way. So when General Musharraf took power in Pakistan, he was generally greeted with support 
by liberals who thought that he was saving them from an Islamist elected government. Now, they changed their mind very quickly. <laughs> what would be interesting is seeing what people in Turkey feel today. However, now it's becoming increasingly difficult for people to speak their mind in Turkey. So, as we watch the coverage, mm -hmm. we should repress the urge to cheerlead. Mm -hmm. Especially when a coup aims to topple an authoritarian strongman, that's what we're likely to do. But the question is what comes next? When you look at the Arab Spring countries, only Tunisia is a stable democracy now. I remember how much optimism and hope we had when Mubarak was forced to resign. That brings me to the very last question. And it isn't so much about how the coup is covered, but how it isn't. Because as we've often seen... The news crews and generally the world's focus tend to wander off after the shooting stops. Yep. Uh, the news cycle on Turkey has been very short. When the coup happened, a number of media outlets reached out to me for commentary. And unfortunately, I was flying back into the country on Saturday morning. And I found that by Saturday night, media tension had shifted to the RNC almost entirely. And this has me concerned because there's some very important developments in terms of what's happening in Turkey today. And I would hope that the media would be able to spare some of their bandwidth for what's continuing to go on. So then you would offer as your last point for this breaking news consumer's handbook on coups, don't look away. Most definitely. The same way that the news media gets used during coups to create a narrative, afterwards, when we shift our attention away, there's still things that are going on. Our narrative should not be, the coup is over, there's nothing of interest that's going on anymore. If we cared about Turkey two days ago, we should care about them today as well. Nana Hall, thank you very much. Thank you, Brooke. Nanihal Singh is the author of Seizing Power, The Strategic Logic of Military Coups, and a professor of political science at the Air War College. You can find our breaking news consumer handbook, Military Coup Edition, at our website on themedia.org. That's it for this week's show on The Media. is produced by Mira Sharma, Alana Casanova-Burgess, Jesse Brenneman, and Dasha Lizitsina. We had more help from Michael Lowinger, Emma Stelter, and Isabel Cristo. And our show was edited by Brooke. Our technical director is Jennifer Munson. Our engineer this week was Casey Holford. Katya Rogers is our executive producer. On the Media is a production of WNYC Studios. I'm Brooke Gladstone. And I'm Bob Garfield. Support for On the Media comes from the Overbrook Foundation and the listeners of WNYC Radio. At Radiolab, we love nothing more than nerding out about science, neuroscience, chemistry. But, but we do also like to get into other kinds of stories. Stories about policing or politics, country music, hockey, sex. Of bugs. <laughs> Regardless of whether we're looking at science or not science, we bring a rigorous curiosity to get you the answers. And hopefully make you see the world anew. Radio Lab adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Wherever you get your podcasts.